Hello everyone and welcome back to Calming Fact. Firstly, I'm sorry that there's been a two week break from releasing podcasts without warning you. I didn't intend for that to happen, but my uni work just got really heavy. But that deadline is gone now, so I'm back. For those of you that are interested, I'm in my final year with an integrated masters in chemical engineering at the University of Bath. And I hope to enter the field of bioprocess engineering, which could include things like growing stem cells and lab-grown meat. So it's all very science fiction. But anyway, today I'm going to do the next step of my dinosaur series with the Cretaceous Part 2. So, let's go. In Cretaceous Part 1. I finished by talking about the mighty Tyrannosaurus Rex, which evolved from the Silurosaurus group to dominate the predatorial landscape of the northern continents. I'm going to start today by continuing to talk about other important Silurosaurus, namely birds and raptors. When most people think of raptors, they think of the velociraptors of Jurassic Park. However, the raptors in Jurassic Park, both the book and the films, are not modelled on velociraptors, but on one of the biggest raptor species, Deinonychus. The author, Michael Crichton, didn't think that that name sounded as good as velociraptor so they were called Velociraptors in his work. The films and books still get plenty wrong about Deinonychus though. Since the first films we've found out that Deinonychus would have been covered in feathers, as were almost all raptor species. And that, though intelligent enough, they weren't as smart as Jurassic Park suggests. Most raptor species were also much smaller than Deinonychus, about the size of a chicken, including Velociraptor. Jurassic Park does get some things right though. They were ferocious hunters for sure, and they did have a big claw on the ends of their feet. Also, of note, raptor isn't a technically correct term either as there are plenty of dinosaurs, with raptor in their names from different lineages, such as the oviraptor. When we think of stereotypical raptors, we're thinking of a group called dromaeosaurids, though I'm going to keep using the term raptor. So, in real life, most raptor species were chicken-sized 
and almost all were feathered. However, feathers didn't go hand in hand with powered flight. While some species on the fringes of the raptor family tree, such as Microraptor, seem to have been capable of gliding, the vast majority of species were completely land-bound. In any case though, there's no question that raptors are closely related to modern birds. In fact, modern reconstructions of most predatory dinosaurs, the big ones included, look startlingly bird-like and would have been completely absurd only 50 years ago. Modern theories suggest that the direct descendants of modern birds split off from the raptors about 180 million years ago, which were still in the Jurassic period. Over the course of the Cretaceous period, small, incremental evolutionary steps were made which saw their feathers, bones and muscle structure start to adapt for flight and resemble that of birds today. By the time we get to the middle to late Cretaceous, there are coastal birds which bear a striking resemblance to modern shorebirds, and there were other birds which resembled ducks and modern flightless fowl type birds. Now, while modern in most respects, most of these birds retained typical reptilian-like teeth and sharp claws. Interestingly, after the asteroid strike, four distinct lineages of birds survived and gave rise to four different groups. The Palognathae gave rise to ostriches and relatives. The Anseriformis gave rise to ducks and relatives. The Galliformis gave rise to smaller ground living birds and then most other modern birds descend from the Neoves group. As a reminder of the diversity of the Silurosaur lineage, many of them re-evolved to eat plants as well as meat. For instance, Cynornithomimus, the largest theropod, had toothless, beaked jaws, and specimens have been found as evidence of a gastric meal, which is when there's small stones in the stomach, which would have been used to grind up food. And this confirms that it ate a significant amount of plant food. Generally, there is strong evidence for herbivory in 44 known Silylurosaur species. The Silylurosaurs appear to have been dietary opportunists, in which multiple species shifted to far more varied diets than the Tyrannosaurs or Raptors. In fact, as most Silylurosaur groups show adaptations to eating plants, the only carnivorous species in the groups such as T-Rex and Raptors are actually the oddballs amongst the Silylurosaurs.
I also want to talk about the Spinosauridae today. The most well-known of the group is also the largest of the group, the Spinosaurus, and is in fact the largest species of carnivorous dinosaur that's ever been found, even larger than T. rex. The Spinosauridae were a type of megalosaurids, which is the last of the four big carnival dinosaur groups I named in the Cretaceous Part 1 episode. Spinosaurs are one of 12 documented species of Spinosauridae which have been found, and they all share similar features. Their crocodilian-like skulls were long, low and narrow, and their robust shoulders wielded stocky forelimbs with three-fingered hands that bore an enlarged claw on the first digit. Many species had upwards projecting spines, which formed a sail on the animal's back. Evidence suggests that spinosaurs were highly semi-aquatic, and that they lived both on land and in the water, as modern crocodilians do. Their leg bones had a high bone density, allowing for better buoyancy control, and the paddle-like tail was likely used for underwater propulsion. Multiple functions have been put forward for the sail, including thermoregulation, and displayed to either intimidate rivals or attract mates, but a concrete theory has yet to be finalised. Spinosaurs lived in a humid environment of tidal flats and mangrove forests, alongside many other animals including other dinosaurs, fish, lizards, turtles, pterosaurs and a host of other creatures. for today. I've decided to do a whole nother separate episode on the asteroid impact which I will release in the near future. The music for today was by George Sundancer and is called To an Unknown Soldier. For the full attribution and a URL to his site please see the description below. I have used his music with his full permission. I hope you've enjoyed this episode today and that the rest of your day goes well. <laughs>